Welcome to episode 305 with my guest, Luisa Omilan. Um, before I go any further, I want to remind you guys, uh, if you haven't heard already, we're now accepting donations uh, via Patreon. Still accepting them via PayPal, but if you uh, sign up to become a monthly donor through Patreon, um, you qualify for rewards, um, increasing uh, rewards based on the level that you donate uh, at um, video, uh, audio, uh, all kinds of uh, stuff. So uh, I'll put the link on the website to it, but it's uh, patreon.com slash mentalpod, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can donate as little as a dollar a month to several hundred dollars uh, a month. Um, so at least go check out what the, what the uh, rewards are. And, um, yeah, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the, uh, the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, this show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter handle. You can follow me at and go check out our website you can fill out surveys maybe we'll read your anonymous survey on the air um, you can read blogs guest blogs um, there's a search box so that you can if you're looking for episodes that deal with bipolar just type bipolar in the uh, the search box and it's a much easier way to find episodes that you're interested in than um, emailing me <laughs> um but if you want to email me, that's fine, too, because, uh, you know, I'm codependent, and uh, I don't want a single person in the universe to not like me, although I've already blown that by a long shot. Um, before I read some things that uh, I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving, as I record this, uh, it is the waning hours of uh, Thanksgiving night here in the uh, in the States. Um, I want to uh, give some thanks to one of our sponsors, uh, MVMT Watches, Movement Watches. Um, they sent me a free watch uh, a little little while ago, and without even telling people that I was wearing, you know, a watch that was going to be sponsored on the show, I immediately started getting compliments about the watch. Uh, People saying things like, man, that is like a piece of art, you know? Oh, that's really modern looking, or I, I love how minimalist it is. Um, somebody uh, commented on how beautifully contrasting the colors were. Um, and I especially like the watch, uh, not only because of how it looks, but uh, I can wear it, you know, if I'm just uh, going to wear jeans and a t-shirt, or I could wear it if I was going to wear, um, I don't know about a tuxedo with a top hat and a cane, but whatever the level is right below that, I could I could wear it with that. Uh, but there are uh, MVMT watches start at just ninety five bucks, and uh, you know if it was a department store, you'd probably be looking at four hundred to five hundred bucks. But Movement has figured out uh, that if you cut out that middleman, it's a lot less expensive, and uh, they're just it's classic design quality construction and styled minimalism. Uh, they've sold over 500,000 of them in 160 countries. So get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmtwatches.com 
slash mental. Um, I love it. Super clean design. And, um, you know, it's time for you to step up your watch game. I've been watching you. I've been watching you and watching your watch game. Let's go. Give it a bump. So go to mvmtwatches.com slash mental and join the movement. All right. Here are some things that I am grateful for this Thanksgiving. And this is just a partial. This is a partial list. Uh, no, really, Paul. It's everything. Shut up. Shut up. What did we make it? Four minutes and 30 seconds in before I hate myself. I am, this is an ironic that on my list of things I'm thankful for, I'm thankful that I'm less angry. Well, let's put it this way. I'm less angry at other people. Um, I'm grateful that I have gained experience in dealing with uh, my issues and with it, the patience to know that sometimes things work themselves out on their own turn, uh, turn <laughs> Yeah, my issue, my issues have been reissued in vinyl uh, on their own timetable. Um, I'm grateful that I have a support network. I'm thankful that I have a job that I love. I'm thankful that I have people who love me unconditionally and people who I love unconditionally. I am thankful that I can still play hockey. I'm thankful that I'm learning to cook again and like it. I'm thankful that my meds have not needed adjustment in six months. Um, I'm thankful that I have meaning and a sense of purpose in my life. I'm super thankful that I don't miss being on TV or performing in comedy clubs. I'm thankful that I'm food secure. I'm thankful that I, at 53 years old, still sprint upstairs two at a time. I, I will be very sad the day that I can no longer do that. Uh, I'm thankful that I found people that I can trust and who trust me. I'm thankful I have health insurance. I'm thankful that my 10-year-old car is still running. I'm thankful that Herbert and Ivy still make me laugh. Um, I'm thankful that more and more people seem to be going to therapy. Uh, I'm not thankful for the reasons people have to go to therapy, but I'm thankful that more and more people are feeling less shame about um, asking for help. I'm, I'm really, really thankful for the people who advocate for uh, childhood sex abuse survivors, especially um, male survivors, uh, because a lot of people, um, I don't have to explain. I'm thankful for you guys pouring your souls into these anonymous surveys week in and week out. You are the third the third guest on the podcast, and it would not be even remotely a similar podcast with without you guys participating in that. Um, I'm really thankful for your gentle and thoughtful feedback that helps me grow as a host and hopefully as a person. And I'm very, very thankful for your financial and uh, emotional support because um, this is my job and it, it depends. This is the only, you know, this is my full-time thing 
and without your financial support, um, I can't make it happen, and I don't know what I would do. Um, so I'm just eternally, eternally grateful. Uh, let's read a couple of surveys and then get to the, uh, the interview with Louisa. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Leah, and uh, she's a teenager. She writes about her ADD. I want so desperately to catch up with my peers and even more desperately to catch up with myself about her borderline personality disorder. It's like that moment in the horror movie when you're yelling at that stupid character to not do that stupid thing, except your life is the horror movie and you are the stupid character. That's pretty profound. Uh, snapshot from her life. I'm laying here at 4.38 a.m. trying to think of more I could write that would make people feel sorry for me. I can't sleep for shit and Thanksgiving is tomorrow. I want to get up early and put on makeup. I want people to look at me and not think I'm a total failure because that's all I can feel like at this point in my life. Well, Leah, um, you, you have a lot of life ahead of you and you are not alone in how you feel about yourself. There are millions of us that feel that same way. And it is a lie that our head tells us. Uh, Brown Blob shares about his depression. The more you tell me I'm not trying, the less I want to try. That's a great one. Thank you for that. Lavender, who's a teenager, writes about uh, living with an abuser. I think I started scratching my own arms so that I could hurt myself before she did. Snapshot from her life. I was on an airplane crying next to a mother who told me to shut up or things would get worse. I'm assuming it was her mother. I wasn't crying because the slap had hurt or even because her words had stung. It was because everyone around us on the plane saw it happen and no one did anything. Wow, that is heavy. That is heavy. Graveheart writes about her ADD. Like the entire history of moments that came before this one have ceased to exist for me. That is so good. About her bulimia, like I wish I could stretch the space in between bites forever so I would only have to exist within this meal. That is fucking brilliant. That is brilliant. I've always, I've thought that and I, and I don't struggle with bulimia, but the, the joy as someone with an Without an eating disorder, the joy that I have experienced sometimes eating a meal, never wanting it to end, I can't imagine what it would be like when you throw an addiction um, in there. Wow. Thank you for that. About her codependency, I am wrapped up in your arms and you are firmly wrapped in mine, but I still feel a thousand miles of space between us that I will never be able to bridge. You could be a poet. KT uh, shares a snapshot from her life. Although I see gaslighting from a mile away, I do nothing except spend a shitload of money on myself shopping to look pretty for it. I fear that I'm inadequate. I fear that I'm inadequate. So recently I've been punching myself a lot. Sometimes I feel like my full-time job. Mental illness is convincing myself I'm so alone why hypervigilance I should try to do something I hate my kids seeing me like that I just imagine killing people I woke up with rats in my hair they warp reality am I losing myself or am I becoming myself 
I go back to bed. Hiding underneath the sofa while people were shooting outside the house. I was able to get myself out of Scientology. Put a gun to my mother's head and I was 11 years old. And you're just garbage moving from one person's house to the next person's house. And you just hope they don't throw you out like garbage. You know, so I planned my suicide. Because you won't ask for help. I'm asking for help. I'm not pretending everything's okay. I'm not trying to do it alone. I'm really happy that I did it because a lot of good things have happened since then. That, that option just evaporated and I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I don't think I have what the woman who is not right for me anyway <laughs> wants. I'm here with Louisa Omilan and uh, she's British. Yes. She's over here in the States for a little while. She's a stand-up comedian and a solo performer. Uh, you are how old again? I was 34 on the 7th. So was that Wednesday? So I'm, a, I'm new happy, to 34. Happy Hello. birthday. Thank you. Uh, where should we start? You're from uh, around Birmingham? Uh, my mum lives around Birmingham. I live in London. So okay. I, I'm... But where you were raised? I was raised... I was born in Birmingham. I was there for a year. And then I moved to a place called Farnborough, which is like a nice countryside south of England. Uh, very hilly-billy. Very like, good morning, good morning, like mm. kind of place. Um, can I get you some milk? Yeah, I'll pick you some up. Like that kind mm. of left your back doors open kind of place. And then uh, my mum sold that family home and moved to just outside Birmingham about two years ago. So, yeah. And what was uh, what was your childhood like? So my childhood was quite, um, uh, what's the word? I was going to say interesting. It was quite traumatic, dramatic, more than traumatic. So my parents got divorced when I was seven-ish, but my dad made it a very long, drawn-out process. So it wasn't a clear case of this isn't getting on, we're going to have a separation. He had a quite a vendetta against my mum and didn't like her at all. Did and, he Did he talk to you about her behind oh, her back? all the time. Which is one of the most abusive things all you can time. do to kids. All the time. So he would call her... His favorite thing was to call her a, a parasite. And I remember being like seven and being like, what's a parasite, mum? Um... Because that's what our dad calls you all the time. And like a harlot and a whore and a slut and a, you know, a evil, vicious. Now we know why you're a comedian. Right. Hello. I found my people. <laughs> so he was really, it was really confusing. It must have been hard to feel safe around your dad. No, it wasn't. I loved him and adored him. Really? Yeah, I adored him. And what I found weird was living in two personas. So he would pick, so I was one of four at the time, three brothers and me, and I'm, in, I'm the third one in the line, but the only girl. And he hated my mother so much, but I really identify with her. And now I look back, I'm like, well, because you're a girl, you identified with the, with the girl. But I was a daddy's girl, like I wanted his attention more than anybody else's. And so he would, um, he would never come to the house. So we would see him every other weekend. He wouldn't ring my mum, wouldn't call her. Everything was done through court orders. So all the letters were through solicitors. So that kind of financially, it left her very weak. And um, he would park um, round the block, down the, down the road. So he said he'd come on Saturday at 12 o'clock. We wouldn't know if he was there. So we'd, we'd run out and we'd wait uh, from 12 o'clock at the bottom of the road. This before mobile phones when he'd, you, know, you could call and be like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be there in 10 minutes. This is the old days where he'd call and said, I'm leaving now. Even though he would actually call the house, that's a lie. He seldom called the house. He'd call, I'd call him on the Friday. He'd say, I'll be there at 2, 12, 2. And we'd be there waiting and waiting. And then he might show up at 12, might show up at 2, might show up at 6. You just would wait at the bottom of the... Do you, do you, the, do you remember what you would think or feel when you'd be waiting there and he was really late? Uh, 
um, nervous and excited, but but scared to go back and tell my mum because I'd be getting my in my head going, oh, I'm ready to spend time with dad now. This is my dad, Louisa. This isn't Louisa that's mum, Louisa, because they're enemies and the the one can't relate to the other. Like the thought of them being in the same room petri- petrified me. So when I'd get into the car with him... I'd be who I was going to be with him. I'd be in that zone of, oh, I'm my dad's daughter and I'm my dad, and this is how my dad talks about my mum, and this is how we are, this is how we all engage with each other. And the Sunday nights back, I think he was grieving because he'd make the journeys really traumatic, so he'd play really sad power ballads, which I still cry to now. Like who? Like, I'm like... Uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. I can't like I I'll cry. I'll, I'll cry if I hear that song. But that dun 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 dun, 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 dun beginning. I'm always like it's so haunting for me because he used to play it and rewind the tape and play it. Rewind the tape and play it. And he'd park the car in a park around the corner and he'd just sit there and hold us and be like, "I'm so sorry, my darlings, that I have to let you go. I'm so sorry that you have to go back to that harlot of a woman." I'm so, and we'd be there like feeling his sadness but not understanding it get into the house and I'd hate my mother would hate her would call her the names that he told me she was run into my room and just cry until the Monday and knew that I'd wake up on the Monday oh but I'm at my mum's again now and then how would you change would you would you it would be sleep it would be sleep do you know it was <laughs> I used to come back like I learned to masturbate very young and I think I used to do it as a comfort thing it used to comfort me and I'd come back on Sunday night be crying be a mess not understanding why, because you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, not understanding what's going on around you, crying, couldn't stop crying, but learn, oh, if I masturbate and I come, I'll fall asleep. I, I wish I could say I don't still do it to this day. <laughs> so, like, that used to be, like, which is why now I still masturbate and cry, because it's a bit like Pavlov's dogs that I'm like, oh, shit, I've got this the wrong way around. We we have a name for that on this uh, podcast. Oh, do you? Master sobbing. Oh, master sobbing. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or cranking is one that they like to call it in the UK. Yeah. So, um. So, what would, what was the persona when you were around your mom? And would you feel, would you have warm feelings towards your mom or her, or had your dad kind of poisoned your view of her? I didn't like, I didn't know either of them. I didn't, I didn't trust either of them. I wanted, and my, my, when I was around my dad, I adored him and I idolized him and had this ideal of him and would chase his attention all the time and never quite get it. With my mum, I'd be like, oh, why are you here? Oh, you're still here. Go away. Oh, I don't want your stupid dinners. Oh, why can't you be like dad? Great dad. Who was oh, like, that must have just. Do you know what was amazing? Eaten her up. What was amazing? She has never to this day. Especially slagged him off to us, never. And he was, they had a very abusive relationship. Like, he was very abusive towards her in every sense of the word. And um, she was always like, it's important for you to have a relationship with your father. Don't worry about what he did to me. Wow. You be, you're you're his daughter, and it's important that you have the relationship that you want with him. And she always encouraged it. So there'd be times that I'd speak to him, he'd get angry at my mum through me, put the phone down on me. I'd be 10 years old and crying because my dad's just put the phone down on me. And my mum would be like, don't worry, darling, come in, like, calm down. Just call him back in an hour or so when he's calmed down. And she'd be the one telling me to call the man that's calling her names. So what's now, now I look back and I go, the grace and the love that you've shown me, like I'm ferociously protective of her now. Like she's my queen, like she's 
best I'm friend. feeling ferociously yeah. protective <laughs> yeah, of right. her right now. I, She's amazing. And and I love women. That That's very much my work is about women and empowering women. The thigh gap thing is like women... How can we be, sounds cheesy, but I'm an American, so I can say it, but like, how can we be like the queen version of ourselves? Like we're goddesses. How can you be like a goddess, like pure and loved without that thing for a man? Now my whole life I've been looking for a man to fulfill the void and repair the damage and the scars that he left. In fact, every one of my relationships, I say they're relationships, the men that were in them wouldn't call it a relationship but in my head it was very much a very significant relationship thank you very much i don't care if i met you twice we were dating anyway and i look back now and you go oh they're carbon copy and when the relationship ended and i'm crying and i'm crying not just in a oh my brain's sad so i'm crying i'm crying on a visceral level that's a deep rooted pain that i'm like Oh, this feels familiar. And then I, part of me almost gets off on it. And not gets off in the sexual way because you're not sexual and enjoying it, but, but it's so familiar that you're like, yes. oh, I'm in, I'm in the right... Um, this is real. Right. Do you uh, know what I mean? Coupled with the fact that you're listening to Total Eclipse of the Heart while masturbating. Yeah, right. I mean, how can right? it not, how so can then, it not so ring then you go, and then, But then you go, oh, because I feel this is real love then. Because that was mm. real love for my parents. So this is real love. So this is really the love that I'm suffering for. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that if it feels intense, it must be love. Yeah, but is, is it, I mean, it is a misconception. And I've taken therapies and met people and met beautiful people that have given me insight and you realize, yeah, it is a misconception. But at the time, it's like, it's like we mentioned before we started the podcast. If you do something when you're younger that excites you or that you learn very, that something leaves an imprint, an emotional imprint on you when you're younger that's very powerful. Like the first time you ever, I don't know, ate a lemon and you really remember that feeling of bitterness. Mm. Then when you're older, you try and recapture it because that was the first, so that was, that was your baseline for normal, in inverted commas, I guess. So yes, you yeah. can say, oh, is it a thingy to be like, oh, that's not real love. But you're going, well, is it? Because nothing fucking gets me off more right. than someone being really shitty to me. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> yes. you know, and that's, that's something that you have to unlearn and go, actually, do you know what? It might not be as exciting, but it's, more fulfilling for you in the long run if you went for somebody that's just nice do you find nice guys to be boring <clears throat> uh no i've always loved nice guys and I've, I've always made them like my best friend like my brothers like i realize now that my boy f that's that are friends in my life are actually like my brothers like i'm i can see my brothers again and i go oh you're like my best mate george or oh and you're like oh i've I've made my best friend <laughs> because my dad got custody of my brothers when I was younger. So when I was um, uh, 11, the courts decided, because my dad wanted all four of us. And then um, <clears throat> and he, uh, he said that my mum, so he'd do things like to the court saying, oh, the mum's abusing us. And she was never abusing us. And uh, we had, uh, he took pictures of us in our vests and pants. So he took pictures, and like me being like <laughs> a show off. Because I used to sing, so I used to sing Bonnie Tyler for him, and he'd give me a round of applause. And I'd feel <laughs> like, oh, I'll take a bow. And so he'd like, we'd be in our knickers and our vests, and he'd take pictures. And I'd be like, oh, striking a po vogue in it. Mm. Not realizing that he's sending any bruises that we had to court saying the mum is physically abusing her children. They should be living with me. These bruises are what seven-year-old kids get, you know, especially when it's three boys and one girl. You're going to punch each other. That's what the bruises were. It had nothing to do with my, my... I digress. I can't remember what my point was, but yeah. That was. No, I think that's really important, really important stuff. 
Um, what what is your relationship with your dad like today? So. I think it's a lot better. I feel a lot better about him. So for years and years, so from the age of probably 15, when I started getting, I've avoided love my whole life. I've avoided it my whole life and I found it in safety. So I'd have a, I'd have a friend that I'd have for two years, would never fancy them, wouldn't find them attractive, was not interested in them. The second they got a girl, the second they got a girlfriend, I was like, oh, it's you. Oh no, I'm in love with you. No, hello. I'm over here. Hello. I'm, I'm flashing at you. Why? Hello. My boobs are right here. I'm flashing for you. Let's have sex. Come on. You want to have sex? Come on. You know me two years. Let's totally fuck. I know you want to fuck. Let's just totally fuck. I have sex with them. They go, no, Louise, this was a mistake. Go back to their girlfriend. And I am there like with a dagger in my chest going, oh, see, why is it always me? <laughs> like, and then I'm there going, oh, this feels like love rejection where they didn't want you and they want someone else. Because my dad had two kids with somebody else and he, he's, he was very much a, he's still in their lives. Like he went to their schools, went to their graduation. And, and that, I think that left an impact of being like, oh, so he got custody of my two older brothers. Me and my little brother stayed at my mum's. And then he had another son and daughter. And I always remember feeling, being like, oh, that's your replacement, me and Martin. Oh, that must have hurt so bad. Yeah, it did. But it's only now, as I've got older and I'm dating guys and they get a girlfriend, fuck me, but then go back to their girlfriend, that I'm like, why? Why is it always her, not me? And I'm like, where's this come from? Why is it always her? And I'm like, <laughs> oh... Oh, it's oh, it's your daddy issue. <laughs> you, you must have done some therapy to get all these insights, huh? I've always been really emotionally intelligent. I've always been like emotional. Like I might not know what the capital of America is, right? <laughs> I think it's Washington. I don't know. Am I wrong? Is that right? It's Seattle. Seattle is it? <laughs> no, uh, is it Washington? It's Washington. Oh, yeah. you see, scandal does come in handy. Um, but emotionally intelligent. I'm your girl. Like I'm, and I and I think I learned that very very quickly and that's also where I learned my comedy very very quickly because growing up in a really tense and aggressive household you learn very quickly uh should I interrupt this argument no this is too much is this a good time to try and get some extra sweets that no that's a bad time is now a good time to try and be cheap no now's not a good time oh look mum's crying how can you make her happy hey mum look at this like so I learned very very quickly to pick up on um I guess like energies Mm-hmm. And, and how things feel and so in in shows i love doing it like with audiences i love that oh i can feel you and i can feel but then i can also not feel it so when it's dying like it was really mm. it's really painful <laughs> and w- when you can use your people skills to change the mood of a room or the mood yeah. of a single person yeah. what a powerful drug that is well it also feels like this sounds really wanky it feels a bit like uh, a divinity because you're there in a room and I've had moments on stage where I've talked about issues like this you know with boyfriend's relations my father like mental health problems that have resulted all the back of this and it's taken a long time to I guess admit that that's what it what it was because it happened when I was so young as I'm old I'm like well it's not that is it because I'm, I'm 23 now I haven't spoken to him in 10 years so it can't be that like that's not the problem is it like I'm 24 now I'm 25 now I'm 20 I'm 33 now I'm 34 and I'm still having the same problems that I had at 15 17 19 and then only in the last few years have I learned to go oh okay come on then because you keep knocking at me like what is it what okay what and it's those same issues and some really good therapy I had was when they're like when you get your demons when you get your like 
I'm worthless. I'm a nobody. Nobody's going to ever love you. Everybody will reject you because that's fundamentally what you're feeling. I'm not mm. worthy of love. I don't deserve love is what you're feeling. If you really saw the true me, you would run. You would run. Yeah, you don't really want me. And so I protect myself ferociously from relationships because all I've seen in relationships is battered housewives. So I'm like, well, I'm I'm never going to be that. And instead, I become this alpha female where I'm like, fuck you guys. Yeah, suck my dick. Like, in your, And I wank in guys' faces on stage because I'm like, I'll fucking show you alpha. Oh, you think you're brave. You think you're alpha. Come and have a fucking go then. Like, and I've learned that actually when you are insecure and you're feeling anxious and you're feeling like I'm not worthy of love and oh, all these gremlins come up. So I had a therapy retreat session and they were like, maybe maybe those voices are actually trying to help you. And I remember being like, what? How the fuck is that? How the fuck is that helping me? Why don't you go fuck yourself? It's what a waste of time this whole retreat's fucking been. Like, go fuck yourself. And she was like, well, if all you've learned is bad things will come from love, you telling yourself that you are unworthy of it, that you don't deserve it, that you don't, you're not good enough, it's keeping you safe. And as human beings, all we ever try and do is find the safest, most familiar place. And if unfortunately your safe, most unfamiliar place is being very vulnerable <laughs> and cut off from love, then you're going to find a situation where you pursue that. And that's keeping you there because as our natural behavior is to not like change. Like I hate change. I moved to LA and I, I laid out my bedroom exactly like I have my bedroom at home. This is my mum's t-shirt today because I was feeling really anxious today. So I was like, I saw my mum's t-shirt from her house. And I'm like, if I wear it, then I feel like I'm with her. She's not dead. She's alive and well. But like, yeah. I feel like oh, it's, it's familiar and I know this T-shirt. It's my mum's T-shirt. And so I'm in LA and I don't know what side of the road to cross on, but I'm fine because I'm wearing my mum's T-shirt. So I'll be fine. <laughs> like, so that's a lot. That's me talking a lot. Yeah. Um, that was great. Yeah. That's great. Um, <clears throat> have you ever talked to your mom about the the childhood stuff? All and the time. Yeah. What did, how did she... She's really sad for me that I feel like this still. She's really sad that it still affects me. She's really sad and guilty that and sorry. But in terms of you now realizing mm. how loving she was, mm. that must have really touched her when you saw the light and were able to say to her. Yeah. What, do, what Do you remember what you said to her? Uh, no, because it's, I've always, uh, when I, I think, especially in the last maybe 10 years, and more so since I've been doing comedy, actually, and feeling the love I got from comedy. Comedy was really healing for me. It was really selfish in a way doing stand-up. It's not about making them laugh. No, no. it's, it's about, about filling me, the hole. Right? It's about me feeling better. So going on stage and going, here's all my uglies. I go batshit about men that I meet for five minutes. I can't handle it. I want to fuck a guy. I love fucking. Sometimes I masturbate and cry, but the idea of fucking somebody scares the living daylights out of me and I would rather run a mile than go near. And for people to go, ha, 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 and get standing ovations, you go, ah, oh, that's why I'm talking about divinity because you see them, vroom, the energy, and you're like, you just feel light and bright and like, you're seeing me at my purest. I'm giving you my purest form and you're standing up for me. Like, if that's not from some kind of divinity, 
I don't know what it's, is. It's the most amazing feeling. Yeah. It really is. It's I, I, Deep down, I think we just all want to be seen and heard and loved for who we are without having to put a show on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I don't mind putting the show on a bit, but yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do, not <laughs> I a literal show, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 I knew what you Putting meant. on a mask. Yeah putting on, a, yeah, putting on a mask. But it's amazing how I've made my emotional... Uh, disabilities, if for want of a better phrase, um, a means of an income. Because yeah. it's like, well, how, what else do you do? Do you kill yourself? Was that the is that the alternative? You just go, I can't deal with all these issues. I can't deal with all these demons. So do you kill yourself? Or you go, oh, I'm going to somehow put this in my art and hope it comes out. <laughs> oh, it does. Great. I mean, I'm depressed for three weeks, but the three weeks that I'm on it, I'm really on it. So... so- uh, let's go back to the to the childhood childhood. So you're going through the back and forth mm-hmm. thing with your dad mm-hmm. um, till you're like what fourteen or give me fourteen fifteen yeah. Give me some seminal mm-hmm. moments from your from your childhood that you feel are kind of uh, emblematic of what your life was was uh, like or just things that stick out in your brain well, yeah there's a few there's a few from child but there was one recently that made not made up for it all but was as powerful as those so i think one of my most iconic childhood memories is um so he would go my dad would go to the bottom of the road to drop us off and for christmas we'd have in poland they celebrate christmas eve more so than christmas day so you have a big family celebrate christmas eve and sometimes we would have Christmas Eve at my dad's house because it felt like a big Polish Christmas mm. and then Christmas Day at my mum's house. So it would still feel like we had two Christmas. It didn't feel like we were spending Christmas one. Mm. It was like we best of both worlds. And um, my mum met Johnny, my stepdad, a lovely man. Um, he hated my father because he was like, he's not normal, Helena. Like he's not, this is not how normal. He should come to the front door. He should. But in being like that, he provoked an already, you know, hurting, angry man. And um, it was Christmas, um, and in the October, the judges decided the two older boys would go live with my dad, the two younger would live with my mum. And the separation was going to happen after Christmas. So for the first part of Christmas, we'd all go to my dad's house. He would then drop us all off at my mum's, and then come the end of the Christmas holidays, my dad would come and collect my brothers, and they would go to live with him and start school in January at my dad's house. That's how it was meant to work out. And it was um, Boxing Day, maybe, or Christmas Day. I want to say maybe late Christmas Day, or like, it was it was christmas What is Boxing Day? Oh, don't you have it here? It's the day after Christmas Day. Oh, okay. But it's like a family holiday in the UK. So it's like, so Boxing Day, you have like turkey sandwiches, and you have I like, gotcha. you go to the other family, side of the family's house. So if you spent mm. one side of the family, your boyfriend's house, and he'd have to come to yours, whatever. It's the day that you go out for batteries because you suddenly realize the thing that you got somebody yeah, yeah. didn't come it's with that, batteries. It's that day. Yes. It's exactly that day. So, um, And I think we do have it here. I've just never asked amazing. what it is. So what do you do on the day after Christmas Day here then? Uh, yeah, go and get eat, batteries. Eat, eat turkey sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's the same kind of... Watch football. Oh, but it's like a... It's like a... It's as important... Boxing Day is as relevant... Not as Thanksgiving, but it's as famous as like it's a well known. I got you. Holiday. I got you. So it's uh, so going back to. So yeah. So then, um, and I remember we were come back from my dad's house to go to my mum's, and we were really sad or really whatever. And this time, he pulled up close to the house to near the garages. And as he was pulling up, I saw Johnny, my stepdad, walking down the path, and I my heart started racing. I was like, oh shit! Oh no! Oh please! Oh please! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! 
And he approached the car and he was like, hi, kids, welcome back. Come on, shall I help you with your bags? And I was like, please go away, please go away, please go away. But I couldn't say that because I'm going, you're, you're on our territory now. He's not going to like this. And you're on our... So none of us looked at him or said anything. And he went to open the door and my dad got out and they started punching each other. So they started having a fight. So I grabbed my little brother, Martin. I was like, Martin, run. And I ran with my little brother, Martin, to my mum's house. I was like, mom, mom, like Johnny's outside. Johnny's there with my dad. Like you got to whatever. Who threw the first punch? <coughs> I think my dad did. Okay. But then Johnny kind of deserved it. You you know what he's like. And you've got, you've, you've gone to the car. You've touched the car. You're opening the car door of somebody who you're now, you know, that's his ex-wife. This is whatever. He kind of, it was an alpha male move on his part. You know, whatever. Hindsight's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But, um, and then um, the, the back doors were open and I came back out and um, my mum ran outside. I was like, get off him, get off him, get off him. And my dad, as the two boys were trying to get out, he threw them back in the car, slammed the door and drove off. And my mum's running down the street after them, calling out for her sons. And it's like Christmas. And he took them and she didn't see him again. She didn't see, like, that's when they left. And that makes me want to cry now. So, like... He could have made it a lot easier. You could have, you could have let them stay because she was. They were like thirteen. They were like twelve and thirteen. And so, from her point of view, she's mentally preparing herself to go. I'm going to let my sons go. They're going to come with me for two weeks, and I'm going to have them together. And then you're going to leave and move to your dad. You're going to move to the dad's. But he didn't. He threw them in a car, and he drove off on like Christmas Day, Boxing Day, whatever it is. And she's running down the street, chasing after her boys. And he drives off. And you go, did you have to make it so difficult? Like, you could have... <laughs> you didn't have to make it... I get people are hurting. I get relationship breakups are hard. I get divorce is very, very painful. But if I still think if you have children, it is your duty. It's your responsibility as a human being to protect their precious mental health as much as you can because it's just incredibly selfish and damaging on people's minds and hearts that are very much forming yeah. how you can forget that your child is hurting during all of this is i don't understand it but i guess that's how powerful anger can i think be. your pain is more i think anger is I think it's, it's anger is. I remember when I saw something like or anger narcissism is or whatever. Yeah, it is. and I think I remember seeing like anger is is hurting. Anger is somebody that's very that's hurting. Yeah. And when I read that, I was like, oh, I just always thought you were so angry, but actually you were in a lot of pain. Yeah. But it came out. But so then, the recently I think. And how I'm, long did your dad? When was the next time your mom got to see your brothers? I don't like the next cycle. So like. They went back, they'd school, and then three weeks after that. Okay. But she can't tell that story. She'll cry at that story. She remembers that so vividly. And she's like, he ripped them away from me. They were like, my baby's like, he ripped them away. He didn't do it in a... There was no need for it to be that dramatic. Why is she running down the street after you calling after her sons? Like, they were meant to... It's different when you know... And to this, like, he made goodbyes quite difficult to this day... I am rubbish at goodbyes. <laughs> like, 
if I, especially if I'm in a relationship with a guy, I keep saying relationship, I don't know why I'm acting like I've had so many relationships, especially if I'm with a man that, you know, has lasted longer than two days, and I'm very excited and proud of myself. Like, when he leaves, I'm like, if he's like, I'm going now, I'm like, no, wait, um, sit down. Uh, uh, um. <laughs> okay, now you can go. <laughs> like, I have to be the one to release them. If they were like, if we have an argument and they leave, <gasps> I can't. What do you feel when they... Oh, I can't breathe. Can't, like, like the noise are just... Like, my chest gets really tight. And what, the, what are the thoughts that go through your head? There's not even thought. It's it's almost like... Um, like a body response? Yeah, it's uh, not sink or swim. It's the other one. Uh, fight, fight or flight? Mm-hmm. Fight or flight, yeah. It's that kind of like... <gasps> like, please don't, please don't open this... Pan- please don't open this Pandora's box. Please don't make me feel this. Please don't make me feel this anxious that you're leaving. Because it's a, it's a visceral reaction that I can't control. Give me some, some uh, moments in your life that highlight that that highlight that visceral yeah some some things you've said or done when that trauma in you gets triggered by by the childhood stuff Uh, either in a relationship or outside of a relationship but i'm always fascinated at, at the way trauma expresses itself 20 years later or it it ex- well in that way in simple ways of somebody going by I'm going now mm-hmm. or there's been a bit of thingy and they go by and they leave and they put the phone down it brings it up so it's not like oh there's one occasion where it brought up like it's it's every day thing I guess like what I'm asking for is uh, <clears throat> you know what did you say or are you just frozen in that moment um I think I'm frozen and then I get very defensive Oh. Like, well, fuck you then. I'm oh, not going to okay. call you. I'm not going to call you then. I'm not going to talk to you. No, you. Oh, you think it's what? You think it's all right to be like that, do you? You think it was, that was cool to put the phone down on me? Do you know why don't you go fuck yourself? Why don't you absolutely go fuck yourself? And I'll get very aggressive, like verbally. And I've and I've learned that's my default is actually quite aggressive, like verbally. I get quite shitty, and like like my friend George at the moment. Like earlier, I started because I'm in LA here, and I've been here a week, and uh, I'm a bit. I don't really know anybody. Um, and today I was feeling a bit sorry for myself. And I called him up and I started crying. And he was like, look, don't worry, you're going to go do some gigs. Like, you'll figure it out. Like, good for you, you know, you'll get there. And I was like, I just don't know, George. And I started crying that um, I'm on my own. I don't know anybody. And I'm 34. What if I never meet anybody? What if I'm the person that never has love? Like, what if I'm the kind of person that never has love? What if that's just my thing? Because I've never had it and I'm 34. And most people have experienced it. And you have it all the time, George. And George starts laughing his head off. And I shouted at him. I was like, go fuck yourself, George. <laughs> I go up for crying. But actually him laughing, I'm learning through my relationship with my friends that you go, oh, that's what I want in a man. I want the man that when I'm heightened and emotional, you laugh, not at me, but you laugh in, you know, in love with me because that will bring me down. Whereas before I would have gone for relationships where I'm crying, where they're like, look at you being mental. Why are you being mental? Why are you just being emotional mental? And that <gasps> aggravates you even more. And I've learned now to go, do you know what? I don't need that shit. That's on you. If you're a man that's like that, you're not emotionally intelligent at all. It's not the kind of relationship I want to be with. So have you ever um, turned a friendship romantic with a guy where it wasn't predicated on him suddenly dating another girl um, or dating a girl have, i mean i've i was gonna say not for lack of trying but i don't know if that means that i have done it a lot or i haven't done it enough not for lack of trying i've done it 
with every significant male relationship I've had. Three out of four of them had their girlfriends. One of them, I had a friendship with him. Um, my debut show, What Would Beyonce Do, is all about him. Mm -hmm. um, we were friends for about two years, and he was lovely, just lovely to me. And I don't, I love lovely guys, but because they're my friends, I'm very safe. So I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, you can hang out. We can talk every day. We can talk on the phone. So then I get attached on a level that I'm not conscious of whereas if a guy came up to me was like i find you really attractive i want to go for a date with you for a long time i'd feel physically sick like i'd be like I'd, let's discuss it L literally, literally physically like, sick? physically sick like wouldn't be able to go on the date like my friend would be like it amazes me that somebody that shows interest in you makes you feel physically sick but a guy that you've shown no interest in romantically for two and a half years dates somebody and all of a sudden you're in love with them <laughs> like it's a very different everything's very much compartmentalized in its own safe little box <laughs> to deal with things so i don't, i like this guy for two years um he broke up with a girlfriend he invited me out for dinner he said his parents were going to be there so i was like well this is mm. i mean this is if he's introduced me to the family i think it's clear yeah. to say that something's on the way and uh, his ex-girlfriend came to the family dinner and i rocked up like dressed up to the nines and she looked at me and i looked at her and i was like what the fuck are you playing at obviously he was just like oh it's my friend it's just my friend louisa but i'm going what the fuck you moron you don't invite a girlfriend anyway so we had the dinner I left, didn't speak to him for weeks. He kept calling me. He was like, I think I've upset you. He was always Irish. So he's like, oh, Louise, like, what have I done? Like, I'm so sorry. Like, you're not answering the calls. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, Louise, please talk to me. Please, please. And I ignored him for six weeks because I was like, I need to let you go. I can't tell you why, but I need to let you go. <laughs> and then eventually I, went, I had flu or something and I answered the phone. I was crying and I was a mess. And I was already fantasizing about being really sick. And I did this stupid fantasy of being ill and dying and how I was like, if I had cancer... And I was like, oh my God, could you mind if you're cancer and you're dying? And um, like, if he, if he called you, it'd be really nice to hear his voice because even if you're dying, like, you can hear his voice. <laughs> I was in a, I'd had a lot of, you know, Lemsip. I don't know if you have Lemsip here. Like, What's that? Like Beecham's, like, like cough syrup. I'd had oh, too okay. much, right? So I was, I was like tripping out on this whole getting off on having cancer and him calling me fantasy. Anyway, so he did call me and I was like, he was like, what's wrong? Like, please, like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I'm, I'm in love with you. And I have been for, for two years. And even if I had cancer and had no hair, I'd be okay as, as long as I could still talk to you. you, you. <laughs> and that, surprisingly, ladies and gentlemen, worked. And he came around a week later and we fucked. And we dated <laughs> for about five months. And, um... I was besotted with him because in my head I'd liked him for two years and he fell for my what? if I had cancer line. <laughs> so was what like, <laughs> was the first sex like with him? Awkward. Weird as hell. Really? I yeah. thought it would have been mind-blowing. No. Weird as hell because he was like a brother to me and that's how the relationship should have probably <laughs> stayed. And the sex I got see. better. So, so it didn't match up to the fantasy. No, so yeah. it did but like, but his love did and I loved being in love with him and then he finished with me because he wasn't ready for a relationship. And Which I'm, made you love him even more? Well, actually, at the time, yeah. I remember being like, oh, this, the universe has been really good to me. I've had a lovely relationship. It hasn't worked out. I'm not having a breakdown. This is fine. Oh, I'm okay. I need to learn from this. I'm okay with this. I'm okay. Everything's okay. Like, I can deal with this. 
and then we were off and on off and on off and on where he'd be like like I love you but now but like I love you like I'm just not ready but I love you like I'm just not like I'm not ready to give you the commitment that you want but I love you but I'm just not but I love you Louisa <laughs> where is he from like D- Dublin Ireland okay right? Like, and it was off and on, off and on, off and on, off. And I was like, he does love me. He's just not ready for a relationship. But that's just, you know, I'm not going to pressure him. Like, guys, no, you don't understand. Actually, do you know what? I don't need to call it a name. You don't know what's between. Like, I know what's between it. You don't know. So don't tell me because you don't know. And so we, uh, he, he, we went, I went to stay with him one weekend. And uh, he went away. He just moved to a new place. And he flew away somewhere for a show. And uh, he just packed all his stuff into his room. So I thought, oh, I know what I'll do to show him how much I love him. I'll rearrange his room, like how he had it at his old place. So I cleaned and arranged his room, and he came back the next day. It was like, oh, you're amazing. I love you, Louise. I love you. Walked me to the train station. was like, look, I love you, but I can't. I can't. Eat. Like, I'm not ready. And I was like, okay, okay, this is okay. This is fine. Like, it's okay. And I left. And then a couple of weeks later, I walked into a club, and I saw him there with another girl who flung herself at him, and he started dating a girl. And wait, 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 back up. What was the last part? He started, I walked into a club about three weeks later and I saw him in a club. And I was like, hey, how's it going? Because I hadn't spoken to you for three weeks. And I was like, hey, how's it going? Like feeling mm-hmm. kind of excited that hoping that you'd, this is a comedy club. And he started acting really awkward with me. And I was like, oh, he's probably like, you know, he hasn't seen me. He's feeling nervous himself. And this girl ran in, jumped on him, put her arms around him and snogged him. And I, I was like, oh, there's... <laughs> There's the, um, there's the like, like when you release a cord and a bag of shopping just, there it is. I've been waiting, this whole time I've been going, oh, we've broken up, but it's fine. Like, I'm fine. It's like, oh, I've learned a lot from this loving relationship. It's really good for me. There's no knife. There's no knife. And as soon, the second that girl hit, oh my God, like the wind just got knocked out of me. And um, the promoter was like, Please welcome to stage, Louisa Omilan. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh. And I went on stage. And this one, I was new in stand-up. And I died on my ass. I was crying behind my eyes. Like, I wouldn't let myself cry normally. When I came out of the club, I just saw him. I died. He'd seen me die. And I came out of the club and I was like, okay, just just get yourself home. Get yourself home. And I slipped on the hill and I went flying and I smacked my coccyx. And I got on the train. I was like, it's fine. You're fine. You're fine. And then the next day I woke up. And you know when you wake up and you go, oh, everything's fine. Like, what's wrong? Oh, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything just crashed and burned. And I started getting depression like I've never had depression before. I had it when I was younger. And it was probably similar to that. But this was a period of pure depression that probably lasted about a year and a half. And it floored me. Like it floored me. Every single daddy issue, every single he had a family with somebody else and not me and my little brother. Every single he ripped away my brothers from my mum, he ripped away my brothers from me. Every single rejection, every hoop that he made me jump through was prevalent in the emotional feelings of seeing my ex-boyfriend with a new girl. Like... My friends were like, why are you so upset? Like, you and him have been over for ages. Like, it's been off and on for a while. Surely that should tell you. And I was like, no, why would that ever? Why would I ever even think? In my head, I'm going, oh, we're just waiting to get back together again. Not, oh, you're waiting until you found something else and then you'll let me go. And we talk about um, people being desperate or being in relationships and not being in relationships and 
stereotypically like men not being as emotionally mature as women and women having to deal with shit and at the time I remember feeling like he's just run off into the sunset and I'm this emotional drama queen and actually you look back and you go actually as a male you were too pussy to deal with your own emotions to deal with the breakup of me that you kept me and you only let go of me when you had another relationship to fit yourself into which has left me dealing with all the emotional fuckery like fuckery now of feeling heartbroken and having no one to talk to about or share it with. So I don't think when somebody runs off with somebody else that they are happier or the better person, that you're the loser. I think actually it's from an emotional point. You're a stronger person, actually. I think when you've been left and you're on your own, you're stronger. You certainly have to find some strength within you to get on with your day. Right. How did your depression express itself? Um, I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, I would wake up crying and just want to go back to sleep. And so just try and make myself sleep. Because if I slept, then I didn't have to feel anything or think about anything. Um, I would go on her Twitter page and Facebook and see what they're up to and be like, oh, see, see, he's being nice to her. See, they're, they're having a really good time. He likes her. He likes her more than he likes you. Why would he like you? You're an idiot. Of course he wouldn't like you. <laughs> and I'd cry. And, and uh, my best friend at the time, Katerina... Uh, she was one of the few people that I could call and I could just talk for hours about, but look what she's doing. And Katerina would be like, I know, I know, I know. And now you go, thank God for Katerina. <laughs> like, thank God for her and Sajila, those women. Because other friends would be like, what's your problem? Just move on, get over it. Stop being a psycho. Why are you stalking her? Like, get over it. And you go, okay, that doesn't help me. Nobody knows that I'm really struggling, actually. And I was living with my mum at the time. And then it'd be weird things. This sounds a bit weird, but... I'd boil a kettle and I'd pour the water and I'd be like, you may as well just throw the water at your face. I'm like, you may as well just, just throw it at your face. And then I hated that I felt like that. <laughs> I hated that that was a thought. I was like, then I'd look in the mirror and be like, you're a young, beautiful young woman. Why are you this, why is this face having these thoughts? Or I'd go to the train station and be like, just jump. Like genuinely just what's going to hurt for like a second? Who's going to Your mum will hurt. Yeah, probably not then. Because your mum will hurt. That will hurt your mum if you do that. But what about my hurt? When's this going to stop? Because I can't keep carrying this. This is heavy. And it feels like it's someone else's shit that I'm absorbing. And I can't shift it. And eventually my mum was like, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. And um, went to the doctor and she was like, you need antidepressants. And I was like, I'm not taking antidepressants. I'm not psycho. Do I look like a, do I look like a heroin addict? I don't need antidepressants. Like, I'm not taking... England's not America. We're not into therapies. England's very, <laughs> you know, head held high. Therapists, we're not a psychopath. We don't need therapists. And um, I took the antidepressants home and I was like, well, now he's going to hear about it. And now I am a psych- Now I'm that crazy ex-girlfriend that needs antidepressants. Why do you need antidepressants? Oh, because you broke up with a guy and you found somebody else and you need antidepressants. What a loser you are. Look at you. Look how crap at life you are. You can't even function. You're one of those weirdo ex-girlfriends that people talk about that they make movies about. Like, that's you. And now you're on antidepressants. Like, it was constant, like, criticism, criticism. Cri- and I started taking the antidepressants because I was tired of feeling like that. And actually, they really helped. They really helped. They just took the edge off. Like, and I was really worried that they'd change me. And I, this is a, it's a line from my show. Was I, it just temporary? Or do you year, still take about, them? About a year mm-hmm. I was on them. Like every day, like you take them. And um, 
the best way to describe them, I do this line from my show, I hope you don't mind me repeating it, but I go, before I start taking antidepressants, say for example, if I had um, a mate that wanted to meet me for coffee on Friday, and she texts me on Thursday, says, Louisa, I can't make tomorrow's coffee anymore. Before I start taking antidepressants, my response to that situation would have been, why does everybody always reject me in my life? It's like I have no real friends that actually care. And then as soon as I started taking antidepressants, that same situation would happen. But instead, my response would change to, hey, they're busy. That's all right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that's how it, like, it just took that. So then I started functioning and then I started doing, going on stage and being like, guys this is really weird my ex-boyfriend's dumped me and I'm really struggling to cope because he's dating somebody else and I keep talking on Twitter and people are going ha yeah and I'm like oh oh I thought it was just oh and this happened at the same time somebody in my family they took a, an overdose and they tried to kill themselves on Christmas day and so I was like I'm mental my family's mental we're fucked and on Christmas day I was in the hospital with him and rather than being like, I love you, like, please don't feel the need to do this again. Why would you feel the need? To, I'm so sad that you don't know how much, how loved you are, that you would feel the need to take an overdose. Instead, he woke up and he said, like, I'm tired. And I looked at him and I felt loved at him. But instead, I was like, you're tired. You're fucking tired. It's five o'clock in the morning, you fucked out. Who the fuck takes 20 pills, you fucking moron? You couldn't have taken the whole bottle, could you? Couldn't have fucking taken the whole bottle, you dickhead. You can't even do that. Right? You can't even kill yourself properly. Next time you want to try and kill yourself, do us all a favour. Come and ask me how. And I screamed it. And I came out being like, oh, shit. Like, who are you? Like, screaming outside. We're like, who are you? You've just screamed at him for not killing himself properly. Your ex-boyfriend is fucking so... Like, I don't know who you are right now and I don't know what to do. So then I went... You were saying this to yourself. To myself. Like, like, screaming it because you're going, I don't... I don't know. How did your relative react to you saying that? See what I mean? See what I mean? This is exactly why I did it. And you're like, fuck you! Did you ever apologize to that person? no. No, because that's truthful, and that's honesty, and actually, that's love. Whether you like it or not, that's love. Love isn't this bullshit of, I'm going to love and accept you exactly as you are. And do. Love is, I think, I'm going to be here for you, all the time I'm going to be here for you, but I'm going to pull you up on your shit, and you try and bust a move like that again, I'll kill you, okay? Let alone, I'll fucking kill you. That, to me, is real. And are you still uh, close? Oh, yeah. He's fine now. He's doing okay. really well now. He's great now. But at the time, it was it was an accumulation of all those things all happened within a three-month period, which was just emotionally too much to... And I'm, I was there going, I don't want to go on antidepressants, I'm not psycho, rather than going, I've had a hard time, and this is all built up, and this is finally the universe going here's a lesson that I really think you need to learn and you're not going to like it but it'll be good for you in the long run (laughs) and so I did it and then I started talking on stage about it and the suicide attempt and people laughed and they got it and that filled me with love that I wasn't getting from a man or from a boy and my career gave me that love my shows filled me with so much love that I've always looked to somebody else to give me. And in its purest form, it came from doing comedy and from my audiences. And that felt divine. Because you go, oh, that's, mm-hmm. you're fixing me. This is what, oh, okay. And if it wasn't for that breakup and that Christmas and that relationship, I would have never written what would Beyonce do. 
that show would have never gone on to be as successful as it has back home. That show's given me a career. That show got me a book. That show's got me back in LA for the fourth time. That's off the back of that show. That's off the back of that suicide attempt. That's off the back of that boy dumping me and dating somebody else. That's off the back of my dad being the way he is, giving me the tools that I've got to have the comedy. Because if he was normal, I don't think I'd be as funny. No, I, I, I've never met a really funny person that had a great childhood. Yeah. I've never, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah. Hey, hey, wherever you are, I'm sure you're brilliant in that office that you're working in because you're certainly not out there doing fucking stand up <laughs> because <laughs> you've clearly got sense. <laughs> so give me some other uh, seminal moments from from your life you think that shaped you or turned a light bulb on in your head. The Beyonce, the, the career thing, the Beyonce show was massive. The Beyonce show was a massive light bulb for me. Because it changed how I felt about myself. It changed how I stopped chasing um, relations. I stopped, stopped chasing my dad as much. I stopped trying to replace him as much. I felt good in myself. For the first few years of doing that show, and like to give you an idea, in Edinburgh, it was the most successful debut show to come out of Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So wow. I've toured it five years. I've been touring like for no other debut stand-up show has done that. Um, Are you but, doing it here in the States? Um, I did it in New York for a bit. I did it in LA last time. I'm, I'm not doing it this time. I got invited to do Just for Laughs in Montreal. So I did 10 nights in Montreal Just for Laughs. I've toured Singapore with it. I've toured Australia with it. Got nominated for Best Comedy Show in Australia. Um, I got a book deal recently with it. What I want to do is turn that show into like a film or like a live Broadway show. That would be my dream to just do that. So but comedy's hard and you have to do other shit. So it's not quite there yet. So what, you've, you've gotten some uh, healing from being able to turn your, your pain into art. But this is what worries me now, that I did so well with that, and I really felt like, oh, I'm a star. I'm a fucking star. Like, this show is making me feel in my element. Like, I feel superb. And I'm breaking boundaries and doing things and earning money. Not great money, but mm -hmm. money from doing comedy full-time. And I feel like... Because I've been wanting to be a comedian since I was like five, six, seven. Like, I've always wanted to be a... It's not mm. like I was like, oh, I'm 22, I want to try comedy. Like, when I was younger, I was like, I want to be like the white Whoopi Goldberg. Like, I want to... Mm. What she does, I want to... But I didn't even think of it as white and black. I just thought, I want to be her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to do what she does. Like, I, she was like my idol. Her and Cher were like my favorite. Mm. They're like my icons growing up. And so then... Once it started, when I started getting the audience's reaction that I was and getting standing ovations from audiences and feeling like, oh, it's happening. Like everything I dreamed when I was younger is happening to me. Because for as much as depressed as I would feel about my dad and things, I would pray and wish that for a better life. I'd, I'd look out to the sky and pray and wish for a better life and pray for happiness and pray for a better life and pray to be performing and pray to be on stage and pray to be somebody exciting, pray to be rich and famous. Like I'd pray for those but not in a, I want to be a celebrity way, but in a, you're all going to watch me and I'm going to dance. I want to be seen yeah, yeah, and loved. I'll, yeah, kind yeah. of way. And so when I do this, and it was happening, I was like, oh, it's happening. And then five years later, like in the UK, I still haven't broken through. And now I'm, <laughs> now I'm kind of getting deflated again because you're like, my best, my absolute best wasn't good enough for you to let me in. So what do I fucking do now? 
because that's what I do and I do it really fucking and it's not like I go oh well that show wasn't good enough and Mm -hmm. there's 10 minutes in that show that could be better do you think there's a danger though of equating your self-esteem with how your your career yes is going yeah massively So so how do you how do you separate your worth as a person from yeah. your worth as a performer this is what i've been trying to do this year um so at the beginning of the year i was quite burnt out i got back from australia and i was um just exhausted and tired and didn't want to get up on stage for people didn't want to be funny didn't want to write on social media didn't want to do anything and then you go who am i if i'm not comedy like who am I? What do I do? I walk into a bar. I hate going out on a Friday, Saturday night, right? I do my shows and some of my shows I'd have an after party afterwards because they're quite celebratory. And at those after parties, I'll be the centre of attention, right? And people are like, Louise, I love your show. Blah, blah, blah. And it's amazing. And you feel really high and you're like, oh my God, I'm amazing. Everybody knows who I am. I know everybody in here. Well, I don't know them, but I know they come to see me. So it's all good. Mm. And then you go out on a regular Friday, Saturday night and people ignore you. And I'm there going, you've got no fucking idea who I am. You've got no fucking idea what I'm capable of. Uh, I don't like you bitches. I'm going to go <laughs> home. And then it's like, okay, they don't know who you are and what you're capable of, one. But also, there's a bit of a like, if you weren't a comedian, if you didn't, if the comedy doesn't work out, Louisa, who are you and what the fuck do you do? And that very sentence makes me want to cry right now because that's where I've been feeling right now where you just go, the last few months actually, because I left my agents in the UK, I left everybody and I am um, struggling, yeah, to go, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what more I can do. I've put everything into my career I don't have a relationship, I don't have boyfriends, I don't date, I don't have casual sex, I don't have non-casual sex. Everything's about career. And if career, I mean, at the moment, you know, I'm still renting. I've got cling film on my windows because I can't afford double glazing because it's fucking freezing in winter where I live. And you go, if it doesn't pay off and you're 34, what the fuck are you going to do? What the fuck are you going to do? You need to have babies soon. If you want to, you know, 34, 35, 36, you need to have babies soon. And then I'm like, it's amazing because these are the same insecurities I had before, but they were like over boys or over things. So then you go, how much have you actually healed? Is it just coming out in another way? Because then um, the, one of the retreat things was like, I want you to talk to the 45, 50 year old Louisa. So I want the 50 year old Louisa to come to you now. And give you advice. And the 50-year-old Louisa would be like, Louisa, babe, you're 34. <laughs> Calm the fuck down. You've done yes. amazing. I can tell you as right? a 53-year-old, yeah, right? it's like... You'd be like, everything's going great. Why yeah. you, You've had amazing experiences. You've been traveling the world. This is phenomenal. Appreciate it and love it. Rather than me going, if I have to work in um, Trader Joe's in September, well, you may as well kill yourself. <laughs> and you're like, well... So, I don't know. I feel like I've healed a lot. In terms of my relationships, myself and relationship, like at the moment, this is actually quite, I'm not crying over anyone. And I don't think I've been like this <laughs> for a very long, normally I'm obsessed over someone. Like literally, and it's good. Like I feel good. 
So instead, I'm going batshit of my career because, well, we need we need to be insecure about we gotta something. Worry, yeah, we got to worry about something. Yeah. Otherwise, that silence is terrifying. Otherwise, who are you? Exactly. Like people go, oh, you should meditate, do yoga. And I'm like, I can't fucking sit still for that fucking long. That would drive me fucking mad. They're like, well, that's why you need it. And you're like, fuck off. I like this edge. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Anything before we do some fears and loves? Anything else you want to uh, share? Uh, any struggles you have? Um, any moments from your life that were painful or defining? Or I think I've kind of talked about them. I think those are probably the most definitive. Like a, when I give a synopsis of my life, like those are the moments. It's that moment of my mom running down the street and my dad and the relationship with him, and the wanting to be a star, mm-hmm. and doing the shows and feeling like one. Like, if I look back, like, they're the, they're the photograph pictures in my head that go flash, 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 flash. Mm-hmm. They're the moments. So, yeah, they're quite high and low. They're quite yeah. high and low. I hope, I hope for you that, that you can um, find a separation between how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your career. Yeah, I do too. But then I worry that I go, well, you're only as good as you are in your career because you feel like that about yourself. I have to say that's a that is a one of the biggest myths because as I've um, as I grew emotionally as a person, I feel that my creativity became um, even better because I could express different emotions that I'd never been able to access before it used to all be yes it used to all be all my comedy came from a place of uh negativity and Uh um hostility yeah um you know very well kind of uh yeah i don't know camouflaged so it didn't look that way um but after after i really started to heal and i got sober Mm mm-hmm uh, it, different comedy muscles appeared. I can still go to that place. I can Me access too. that place anytime. Yeah, that's so interesting to talk about because that's something that I feel about because all my shtick so far has been women empowering, like being single, not working it out with guys, but, you know, having swag when I do it. It's funny, but at the time it was very painful, but now it's funny enough to make jokes about. And I'm well aware, like my third show, I've always wanted to be called Famous with a Baby. That was supposed to be the name of my third Because <laughs> the first one's What Would Beyonce Do? Where it's, guys, I'm really heartbroken and my career's not going where I want. Then my second show, Am I Right, Ladies, was about, um, well, my career's going all right now and I'm ready for love. And then the third show was meant to be, guys, it all worked out all right. Coming on stage <laughs> holding a baby. Like that's the, yeah. <laughs> that's supposed to be the trilogy. Trilogy? Trilogy? Trilogy. Yeah. And then you worry like, Oh, what am I going to talk about? Like, but what if I can't be funny if I'm not like, like when I was on antidepressants and like when I was going through that, I remember writing the second show and being like, oh, but, but I'm happier now. What if I can't write it because I won't thingies? And you're right, because I can always turn into the, I'm going to sit on a train and put a power ballad in my ears and just cry outside the window. Not because anything's hurting me, but I just I really like crying to power ballads. It's just my thing. I can still tap into that. I don't need yes. to as much. Like I can, I can be like, do you know what? Just put on a happy song, Louisa. Yeah. <laughs> you yes. don't need to have a cry. We're not. We're not asking you to put down the hammer. We're just saying, hey, try a screwdriver. Yeah, try a screwdriver. Yeah, a wrench. Out. We'll get a 
lunch with expand your palate but recently it was my brother's wedding uh my brother my older one of my older brother's wedding and my dad and my mum were at the same wedding and i've not seen them in the same room since i was seven and i was really anxious for weeks and they're coming up to it and i couldn't figure out what i was i was anxious when i heard i was anxious for the day or two and i had nightmares at night like i didn't sleep well and the next day i was like oh i'm fine and then I started, um, the last guy that rejected me, like a year and a half before, I was like, oh, I'm going to see what he's up to on Facebook. And I started stalking him on Facebook and Instagram and feeling shit about myself because they were still, he's still with his new girlfriend, whatever, that, you know, whatever, we didn't work out because he started dating this girl. And I'm calling my friends being like, um, I'm really sad because this guy is still with this girlfriend. They're like, Louise, you're over that. Yeah, but he, I'm not because he's still with her. And they were like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm fine. I just don't know why he's still with her. Next week, I'm going to go to a wedding and my dad's going to be there. And they're like, oh. oh of course. <laughs> they're like, Louise, it's because you're seeing your dad and you're like, no, it's definitely because Gary's with his girlfriend still. <laughs> like, that's definitely the problem. Like, it was so um, obvious, you know? And then at yeah. the wedding... He uh, he was in a, he was in a fast. It was like the um, reception area, and then next to the building, next to it was like a like a waiting area. And I saw him going to the waiting area, so I went with my mum to the reception area because I was like, keep them apart, keep them apart, keep them apart, keep them apart. He'd come through like a little side door and was in the same area as my mum, and he started walking down the aisle as she's walking in it, and I'm going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, <laughs> somebody help! And my mum reached out her hand. And said, hello, how are you? And shook his hand. And I was like... <gasps> and I feel like that was a phenomenal move on her part. And afterwards, she was really hurting. It took it actually threw her after that wedding. I got my little sister. They started talking to each other for a minute, less than a minute. Just pleasantries. But he was nice to her. As a normal person should be at a wedding, your son's wedding. But... The nightmares in my head have always been the what you used to call her in the car and how you used to mm -hmm. behave. And here you are being... And I grabbed my little sister. I was like, take a photo, take a photo, take a photo. And I grabbed a photo of my mum and dad together. And I've never had a photo of them together. And I've never had a card saying love from mum and dad. And I remember going to friends' house being like, that's weird. Why have you got love from mum and dad on the same card? Weirdo. <laughs> like, I've got one card from mum and one card from dad. Like, nobody has it on the same card. That's very weird. And the photo with them and the day of us all being together and he invited his two kids and we all got on and it was really nice and it it put a bit of a plug in something for me and I don't know I don't know how I hope it lasts for a long time this plug because I really liked it because I walked away going it was normal you were nice there was no drama there was no arguing and it was nice and I look at it and I go you caused so much damage by being as however you acted if you were just a little bit calmer and a little bit nicer, I could feel I could have felt so much more validated than I've had done. I would have had a lot less struggles than I have done if you were just a little bit like you are at this wedding. So the wedding, actually, I came away feeling very different. And even about my career, I was like, do you know what? It's cool. What will happen will happen. You're good. And it was amazing that that wedding, that was quite grabbing a picture with the both of them and I deleted it the next day because my mum didn't like it online she was like I don't like that people think that's okay that that's you know that it's happy family like it's not she, she took the picture for me but for me the picture 
means a lot. You still have it though, right? Yeah, I still have okay. it because irrelevant of what the reality is of the situation, the reality in my head was here these big monsters. Mm. Whether the real as an adult, you go, well, that's not the reality. You go, well, you kind of made it the reality for me as a kid, <laughs> and I grew mm. up with that. And as I grew, the monster grew. So to have that. Just little moment for me meant the world actually. Yeah, that must have been really. Uh, so it was quite a powerful. That was quite a powerful. Yeah. And ever since then, I felt a bit more contained. And I must be contained because it was my birthday on Tuesday, and I didn't cry. And I always cry on my birthday. <laughs> like I'm a crier. <laughs> That's what I do. I cried this morning, so it's you know it's still there. Yeah. It's just a bit. I think I'm getting better. Is what it means. Because yeah. that was a good three days ago, and I only cry today. And that's and I've been in a foreign country for ten days, so I think that's definitely progress. So yeah, that's the other the other moment. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thanks for letting me talk about it. <laughs> Let's do some fears. Um, fears that my I'm not my best is not good enough because it is good enough. It's not that it's not good enough. It is good enough. It's not enough. Sorry, mm-hmm. not enough. Not that it's not good because it's good enough for what I can do. I do that very well. And if you still don't want that, oh, well, I, I don't know. I genuinely, I don't know. Then that's a fear. Fear that I will never get married and meet somebody. And if I do meet somebody, they're going to be like married and divorced with kids. And I'm like, oh, please. I had that drama. I don't want to marry into it. Like, I want a clean one. Okay. Never been married. Never had kids. Everything. The first, I don't want to be walking down the aisle and be like, oh, I bet he's like, oh, wasn't like this last time. No, thank you. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, she wore a nicer dress. Like, no, thank you. And I don't want to be like having pregnancy pains. He's like, yeah, Sharon had that at three months. No, fuck off about Sharon, actually. I want him to be like, oh, Louisa, what's this pain that I've never experienced before? And I'll be like, let's read a book about it together. <laughs> That's what I want. And I worry that I won't find it. Or I worry that when I find it, I'll settle because I'll be so like, I'm so happy I met somebody who's nice and who doesn't hate me. Yeah, let's just cling to this one. But Louisa, he's really boring and you can't hold a conversation with him. Yeah, I know, but he's really nice and he doesn't hit me. So it's great. <laughs> That's what I worry about. <clears throat> and what else do I worry about? Um, sometimes I have weird fears like if I have a this is a bit fucked up if I have a friend and like with a newborn baby and they let me hold it sometimes I'm like what if you just dropped it you're like not going to drop or like if I'm in a thingy I'll be like you could just throw it across the oh, I'm yeah. like why would you you have no idea how common that is but oh, well, yeah. I, but but then I'm like here's your baby back and or I force myself to walk on the inside like as close to the wall as possible and my friend won't even notice that I'm doing it and I'm going just <laughs> I won't do that I know I won't do it, but I don't know why there's a voice in my head telling me that you could it's, just throw the baby it, over the balcony. From what I understand, it's a um, a form of trying to control your anxiety. That that that's how anxiety is expressing itself, and it just chooses fucked up thoughts to release that that. Yeah, because I go on a balcony and I'm like, you could just jump, just jump. And like, I'm not yeah. going to jump. I'm not going to jump. Yeah, but why don't you just go to the edge and just look over? The- I'm not going to oh, look yeah. over the edge. Just oh, I've been afraid. <clears throat> I'm going like something. Yeah. like that voice is going to get louder to the point where it overtakes my body. And yeah. even though I don't want to jump, yeah, it's like yeah, just do it. It's and like a demon. And that's why I've never like I don't do drugs. I've never done drugs. If you've ever heard hear that I've died of a drug overdose, know that I was thingied, killed. Right? Yeah, just know that. Apart from like. 
I think I'd love to try heroin, but like when I'm 90 and I'm like, guys, I've had a good life. I'm in my <laughs> penthouse in New York. Let's just get some heroin. Let's get out of here, right? And, and you could just use, uh, to tie off, you could use the tube from your catheter. Yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's all, and it's all beautifully <laughs> linked together. <laughs> You're already laying down in a comfortable bed. Right, hello. Right. What, what, what more could I go on? Yeah. Well, I'll just get like a, I won't get a young guy. I was going to say a young guy prostitute. I won't. Who am I kidding? I'd want an old man who will hold me and call me beautiful at 95. <laughs> but there you go. Some things just don't change, do they? Mm. Um, but like I, I've never done drugs. I just, I've always avoided them because I've always been like, my mental health is already, like my brain already goes, why do you do that? And I'm like, no, no, we're good. You don't, you don't need to do that. And I worry that if I took drugs, the part of me that goes, you don't need to jump off the balcony. You've got a gig tonight. Can we just, can we just go back inside? Like sometimes I won't even go out on the balcony for fear of, and then I'm like, well, now you have to go out on the balcony to prove to yourself that you won't jump. And you're like, this is a very horrible challenge that only I'm here involved in. And so I don't do drugs for fear that if I do them. You'll listen to that voice. Well, the, the part that stops me will be deactive. Yeah. And I'll be like, well, splat. <laughs> I don't want that. Give me one more fear and then we'll do some loves. A fear, another fear. Um, to be honest, they're pretty much killing yourself because you're on drugs, never finding love and having a baby. And if you do have a baby, throwing it off a. <laughs> you're right. We've got a enough. department store, and and my career never quite taking off because I don't know why. Because I didn't have the right people around me, or I didn't get the right opportunities, or because. Wrong time, wrong place, or it's not mm. enough. Oh, these are... Oh, now I'm depressed. <laughs> Let's go to loves. Um, the opposite of disingenuous, like genuine. So I love people that are... You know, some people that are a bit weird and standoffish. And not rude in a... Oh, I'm being rude because I'm, you know, I'm a waiter and I'm not getting paid enough, so I'm going to be a douche because I hate my job. But rude in a... Oh, I've got no intention of trying to impress you, so we're good. I love people like that. I love yeah. people that are just unashamedly themselves, like in their purest, in a not trying to please you. Duh. And yes. I, I love that quality. It's very attractive. It's, it's really very attractive. attractive. Yeah. And often like I do shows or, or, or travel and I've had to learn to be like, oh, would you mind possibly doing it? And I hate that. I have, I'd rather just be like, can you just get the sound levels up, please? Can we, have a, can we have a monitor on stage so I can hear myself? Instead of going, would you mind possibly if I have to do it? And I'm like, oh, fuck off. And then if I'm like, if I talk like, can I get a mantra on stage? They're like, oh, she's She's bitchy. Yeah. And you're like, fuck off. Like, fuck off. I I hate it that you're making me, this is my job and it's your job to do. You're getting paid for this. I'm paying you for this. You wouldn't do this shit to Beyonce. Don't do it to fucking me. (laughs) Like, I hate it. So when I meet people that are like, can you just get the monitors on and just get them fixed up now? Thanks. I'm like... God, I'm in love with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, I love that. I love those those qualities and people. I love, and you don't have it here, really, crispy aromatic duck, which is Chinese food. But you don't really do it here. And really, I mean, I don't know what. What's it called? Crispy aromatic duck. Is it a chain of stores? No, it's like a dish that's a Chinese takeaway dish. And it oh, comes yeah, with yeah. This, we have no, crispy you don't. Duck. No, you don't, mate. Because I've tried it and it's nothing like it's supposed to fucking be like, right? It comes with hoisin sauce. And hoisin sauce is my favorite. Like one time, I liked this guy and I thought, I know. I know how I'll get this one. I was like, eating hoisin sauce with prawn crackers. And I was like, if you let me put hoisin sauce all over your dick, I'll suck it off. You said that to him? Yeah. Being like, as in, here's my come on. 
let's go. And was this a guy you knew very well? Yeah, yeah, obviously. It's not strangers. Don't make offers like that to somebody <laughs> you've just met. I'm afraid, no. That took a good three and a half months of wooing before I dropped that bombshell. Yeah. And uh, he panicked and said no and freaked out and wouldn't do it. But he clearly thought about it because three weeks later I fucked him. But <laughs> by then I was over it because I was like, ah, you pussy, you wouldn't let me do the hoisting sauce thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I love, 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 love hoisting. Like I love hoisting sauce. Like I'll have it with everything. Like, you know how you have ketchup, like hoisting sauce. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God. But, but I don't want to have it with everything because then you're like, oh, if I have it all the time, and I it's won't not love special. it. So no. I have to, yeah. I have it to have it like a, it's like, I'm very good at being like, oh, it's my special treat that I'll have once in a yeah. while. I'm so excited about it. So yeah, hoisting sauce. Um, people that are, unashamedly themselves and honest like i love that honest quality um i i love the look <coughs> in someone's eyes when you're bearing your soul and you know they feel you yeah that's nice that's a really nice that's a really nice quality in people yeah i yeah i love it when people um don't judge and they understand when you talk mm-hmm. about something and they go, mm-hmm, yeah, Especially when you were afraid to share it. Yeah. And then you're greeted yeah. with yeah, not yeah, only yeah. empathy, but maybe even a, oh, yeah, I've yeah. experienced that. Yeah, or, totally. Excuse me. That, I really, um, I like that quality. I really, it's obvious, but I really like kindness in people or like thoughtfulness, that kind of gesture of love. Mm-hmm. Maybe from a stranger, maybe from somebody you don't know, like just that gesture of like, even little things, maybe it's little things like, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Like if you're in Starbucks or whatever, they give you a coffee, you spill something and they get a napkin, they wipe it and you're like, oh, sorry. And they're like, oh, I got you. And you're like, yeah. oh, like, oh thank, you, thank you. She's got me. My entire life is not an inconvenience. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like just that kind of like tiny little from strangers yeah. that you meet where they're like, they're really nice to you. Yeah, she's not angry about dropping me off at the bottom of the road. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that kind of, I really love... Oh, like when they said, because I'm really cocky and think I know everything. And um, I like it when people surprise me. So I used to do this joke and it was on a, it was on Australian TV about how I might not fancy a guy, but if he can reverse park with one hand, knickers are coming off, babe. Knickers are coming off. If he can do what? Reverse park. You know when you, Oh, reverse park. Yeah, right. with yeah, one yeah. hand. Yeah, then yeah. I'm like, knickers are coming off, right? It's like, that's how I fancy a guy. I'm like... I might not be interested. It might be like, oh, just get me home. This date has been awful. But then if he pulls up to my house and reverse parks, and I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, I, mean, I think my dad used to reverse park when I was younger. I don't know what it is. Anyway, I really like reverse parking one hand. And um, I went on a date with this guy in Australia that I met. And the date was nice enough. He was cool. But I was playing my, you know, well, he likes me and that's weird. So he's obviously, well, this is well wasted time. I don't see there's no, and he was like, can I see you again? I was like, no, there's no point. I mean, I'll call you if I'm bored, but whatever. <laughs> like I'd say that to his face and he'd be like, no, oh, that's all right. That's all right. You're funny. And I'm like, I'm not funny. I don't know why you find it funny that I think you're a dick because I don't care. He's like, you don't know me. Why are you calling me a dick when you don't know me? Okay, that's a very fair point. Sorry for being dickish, but you know, he'd call me up on things. And then I was like, fine. It's the second day. I was like, fine, you can come in, but. We're not having sex, so just you can come in for whatever. Cut to. Cut to, yeah. <laughs> Louise are getting pounded against okay, so anyway, before that. Um he was like, Oh, would you just get out of the car? I just need to um I just need to park the car, so you just get out, call the lift and I'll just park the car. And I was like, Oh, fine. Got out of the car, slammed the door, and then he stopped, went, like put the window, the electric window down, <laughs> looked at me, he was like, I'm just gonna I was like, Yeah, go on then. 
and then he reversed part with one hand and I was like oh! <laughs> and I got so excited I was like that's amazing because <laughs> I love that he seen it thought about it and it was my own joke that I didn't see coming no. from anywhere <laughs> so I love being surprised like that with um, yeah. gestures that show someone sees you yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love yes. it. Like that really. D- so then, obviously, I had to bone him after that, and every day after that for a, a month. But yes, that I really, I love that when people make that effort where you go, "Oh, I think I know everything, and I know everything about people, and I know everything about human beings, and I know everything about you, and I know everything, and this is how the world works, and it's very black and white, and everyone's against me, and I've just got to keep fighting by myself <laughs> because nobody actually really cares, and it's all on me. So if I can make my career, otherwise, I'm going to die alone." And then somebody comes along and does something like, oh, you don't know everything. (laughs) People are nice. Like, he really likes you. Oh, now this is going to throw out your whole world view. (laughs) Now what do you do with this information? Louisa, thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, sharing your life with us. If people want to uh, know more about you, mm. uh, they can go to your website, which is... I love louisa.com. <laughs> oh, you narcissist. <laughs> What's, I am. What is your uh, Twitter? Yeah, my Twitter is uh, at Louisa Omnat, and Louisa is without an O in it, so it's L-U-I-S-A. L-U-I-S-A-O-M-I-E-L-A-N. But come on my Facebook page as well, because I'm, I'm very... Like my Twitter jokes, they're mm-hmm. few and far between, but I like to do live videos on my Facebook page, so come and say hi on there. We we will put the links to, to oh, all this fabulous. on yeah. your stuff. That'd yeah. be great, yeah. All of that Instagram, all that jazz. So thank you so much for having me. I've shared so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Many, many thanks to uh, to Louisa. Uh, be sure to go uh, check out her stuff on YouTube. Really, really funny. Um, before I take it up with some surveys, uh, I want to give some love to our sponsor, Texture. Uh, you know, around this time of year, a lot of people are doing a shitload of traveling, and I used to travel a ton. And one of the things that was always such a hard decision, because I love to read when I'm, when I'm traveling, and one of the hardest decisions for me to make was what books and magazines uh, do I bring, especially magazines, because I love all different kinds. And I discovered, um, this was before they ever advertised uh, with us, I discovered Texture, um, which actually used to be called uh, Next Issue. And uh, it's an app that gives you unlimited access to over 200 magazines. Um, I, they have an amazing uh, array of magazines. The ones that I personally read uh, are Esquire, Time, National Geographic, Sports Illustrated, Vanity Fair, Rolling Stone, Dwell, Interview, Macworld, Outside Magazine, Smithsonian, Surfer, New Yorker, Wired, and a gazillion others. Um, the thing I really like about having that app is I can do it on my phone, I can do it on my uh, tablet, and it it's interactive as well. So sometimes I'll be reading a feature about an athlete and they'll be referencing a play that he or she made and then they'll have a link to it and then I can press it and watch the the play that they're doing, which is really, really cool. Um, So check it out. It's really cool. It's uh, Texture has gone beyond delivering just the magazine itself. They've made it easy to find and enjoy the articles that you want to read with daily recommendations, exclusive interactive features, videos, and more. It's searchable. You can mark what you like, 
check out back issues, uh, view bonus video content, and they even curate articles and magazines just for you or whoever you're giving texture to this year. Why on earth would you subscribe to just a couple of magazines when you could have all of the best ones on your smartphone or tablet all the time for way less? So right now, Texture is offering you guys a 14-day free trial when you go to texture.com slash mental. That's 14 days to try Texture for free. Texture is spelled T-E-X-T-U-R-E for free when you go to texture.com slash mental. Let's do it a third time. Texture.com slash mental. And the more you guys support our advertisers, that is a way of supporting me because then they will continue to advertise with us, and that allows me to keep the show going. And maybe at some point in my life, buying another car. I would love that. I would love to be able to uh, have a car that... Uh, I'm not I'm not going to complain. People have cars that are older than 10 years old. Uh, one more thing before we read some surveys. There's a couple of different ways to support uh, the podcast. If you feel so inclined, uh, you can support us financially by becoming a monthly donor or a one-time donor. Uh, you can become a monthly donor um, either at, uh, through PayPal or Pat- Patreon, 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 uh, which we've just signed up with, and uh, you can now get reward levels. Um, it's a, just an amazing interactive website. So. Uh, Let's say you're a $5 a month donor. Um, You'll be able to see a video that I upload of me having to eat uh, a frosted Pop-Tart while cursing you for becoming a donor. Or, you know, maybe at the the next level above that is um, me, uh, is Herbert's butthole thanking you for becoming a donor. Um, There's uh, personalized, uh, I'll do a personalized video. voice message for you um, at the really higher-end levels, um, monthly video chat, uh, things like that. So consider that. Uh, another way you can support the show, if you're going to buy something at Amazon, especially this time of year, uh, if you enter through the logo on our homepage um, then and then buy something at Amazon, uh, they'll give us uh, a little bit of money and it doesn't make what you're buying any more expensive. And that also uh, really helps support the show. And a good idea, so you don't always have to keep going back to our homepage, is click that that link and then bookmark that page that, that comes up. And then every time you want to shop at Amazon, just uh, do that and you'll be helping, uh, helping the show. All right. Enough of that. Oh. <laughs> and finally, you can support us non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice about us, giving us a good rating, and spreading the word about the podcast. All right. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by J.F., and he writes about his depression. It takes three cups of coffee for me to be able to pretend I'm okay in front of my classes of high school students. I help them, listen to them, nurture them, and when they leave, I melt into my chair and wish I didn't feel so empty. Wow, that he painted a picture. What a... Sounds like a good guy. Oh, what's that? Oh, somebody just said he's actually a monster. All right. I'm too lazy to go back and edit that out. Um, but when I am finished with this, I will cast him to hell. Uh, this is a happy moment filled out by another one. And she writes, and she's a teenager. Today, I I was walking down 
the hall at school. I saw a girl hunched over the bench, shaking and crying. I saw her vaguely. Uh, I knew her vaguely, so I sat next to her. I didn't ask what was wrong. I just said that if she needed somewhere private to go, I could take her to my car. She thanked me but declined. Another girl, who I sort of knew, joined us. She didn't ask what was wrong either, just sat down and provided company. Within a few minutes, we had gotten her to laugh and be a little more happy. I got her tissues from my bag, let her retouch her makeup with my kit, and our little support group disbanded. That, you know, those are the moments that I really love the most because they're so little, but they're so powerful. You know, I bet, I bet the three of you are going to remember that moment for the rest of your lives. You know, and some big present somebody got for Christmas two years afterwards probably won't even remember remember it or or remember the emotions attached uh, to it. I've been doing this po- podcast for five years, and when people list happy moments, never once that I can recall has somebody ever listed a happy moment uh, that involved you know, getting an expensive gift, being given an expensive gift. It's always about somebody seeing them, feeling them, hearing them. This is filled out by Tired and Sad, and she writes about her depression, feeling like I've been doggy paddling for eight years, barely staying afloat, and wondering when I'll just make it to the shore or drown already. About her OCD, Knowing it's not normal to require everything to be an even number, but being unable to shake the feeling of my impending death that I'm sure I've just caused. Snapshot from her life. Feeling like everyone hates me, but not blaming them, because I do too. I think so many of us feel that too. You're not alone with that. Hellenistic who is gender fluid and a teenager, shares uh, an awfulsome moment. Yesterday, I spent the day packing and cleaning my room because I'm moving in a few days into my apartment where my boyfriend is waiting for me. As I was packing, I began to cry, mostly because music makes me emotional. It was the first time that I wished I didn't have to die someday. I would miss experiencing life. I would miss waking up in the mornings. Months before, I didn't care whether I lived or died. I would be okay if someone crashed into me. Before that, I had severe suicidal thoughts and even attempted. But now, I was sitting here, packing my life away into boxes and wishing the days would never end. Beautiful. And I would call that a happy moment, actually. Now, for those of you that are new to the podcast, an awfulsome moment is something that was awful at the time, but in hindsight is either kind of beautiful um, or something is funny about it in a fucked up dark kind of way. Uh, Logan shares about his anxiety. I made a bad choice today, I think, and so now I can't sleep and everything is over and nothing ever even was. (laughs) That is awesome. (laughs) Everything is over and nothing ever even was. That is fucking beautiful. Thank you for that, Logan. Thank you for that. Uh, One fucked up Canuck shares um, about 
uh, I'm assuming that she has dissociation. Uh, she, she has PTSD, and this is a snapshot from her life. I dissociate and wander away. Sometimes I'm gone for a whole day or even two. I often come out of it and find myself in the strangest of places. Last week, it was a golf course over a 100 miles away. I had no coat or shoes on. I have no idea how I got there. I'm in Canada, and winter's coming. I get frostbite every year, but I've yet to freeze to death. Maybe this year. Wow. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Wow. Sending you some love. Blah bitty blah shares an awfulsome moment. I had a phase in my life where my anxiety was so bad that I couldn't handle the simplest of normal adult tasks. Everything except my job was setting me off to the point of physical paralysis. One Friday, after leaving my therapist's office, I decided to go through um, a nearby coffee shop to get a nice steaming cup of hot chocolate. It was that time of the day where there was no parking spot, so I decided to chance at the drive through As I was approaching the window to get my order, suddenly the car behind me rear-ended my six-month-old car. The shock itself was overwhelming. I had such severe anxiety and felt my whole body freeze to the point that I could barely manage the altercation. I slowly got out of my car. Um, dude, what the fuck? This middle-aged, chubby, balding man wearing a worn navy t-shirt emerged from the car. Sorry, my wallet fell. I shrugged my shoulders and furrowed brows and stuttered, so? Put your car in park, then you retrieve your wallet. He shrugged his shoulders. I looked at my car, and I said, well, my car looks fine. The problem was that my body was in such overdrive that I couldn't get myself to calm down. I was shaking like crazy. So I said, can I just get a hug? He was taken aback. Um, sure. And so that's how the day I got rear-ended ended. I hugged the stranger who did it. It helped my anxiety die, die down a little, but it's probably the most ridiculous and passive thing I've ever done because of mental illness. Thank you for that. Um, this, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, uh, one time a guy came into my shoe and I still went on a second date with him. You have to share that story with us. Uh, this is her happy moment. I'm a junior in college, and if I'm being honest, a really bad one. My depression and anxiety has brewed up the perfect chemicals inside of me to convince me every morning that I don't need to go to class, then later convince me that I will never do anything worthwhile with my life because I miss so much class. I was having a particularly difficult day, and I decided to email my professors to give them a heads up on why I was missing so much class. Two of my professors were kind enough, but my history professor made me cry as soon as I read it. Feel better. The most important thing is whether or not you have medical care. Are you seeing a doctor or counselor? Do you need someone to go to student health with you to make an appointment to see a counselor? I can do that for you. Above all else, I want to make sure you are okay. I haven't even had that type of response from my parents. There are good people in the world. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, hold on, i got to take a little tea. 
This is Struggle in a Sentence filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself Worthless Wallowing Wanker. He's got to be English. Uh, he's gay. He's in his 20s. And he writes uh, about his anxiety. I'm not envious of people who can step outside their comfort zone. I'm envious of people who have a comfort zone. About his love addiction. Maybe if I lose myself in you, I'll find a reason to live. About his sex addiction. Find a dollar for every time I've surreptitiously looked at porn on my phone in public. I'd have enough money to hire a high-class rent boy instead of jacking off four times a day about having high-functioning autism. There's a unique pain to being almost human. I almost would have preferred being too autistic to look after myself to just being too autistic to form relationships. About his anger issues, repeating the words, I hate you, to myself for hours like some sort of anti-mantra, hitting my head until I see stars like I'm trying to knock some dislodged component of my brain back into place. About his agoraphobia, Stepping out my front door feels like stepping off a cliff. About his daydreaming, imaginary boyfriends can't break up with you, and imaginary friends can't have other plans. Imaginary me has the life I've always wanted. And about having avoidant personality disorder, being so afraid of how I'll respond to the breakup that I never schedule the first date. Thank you for that. Wow. You are really fucking good at that survey. Um, this is filled out by your, na- your friendly neighborhood borderline bitch. And she shares about her ADD. Imagine feeling like an overstimulated baby every day, but still perpetually bored. About having borderline personality disorder. There is no sense of self. You are a black hole. You are the combined effort of everyone you've ever met. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Sending you some love. This is a happy moment by Howling Mad. And uh, she writes, uh, and she's a, a teenager. She writes, Uh, Shutting my door to the first home that was truly my own, knowing that I finally had headspace, which nobody could enter without my permission. That is a good feeling. That is a good feeling. Dana Espinosa shares about her codependency. Like watching a well-made fire, it looks gorgeous, but the closer I get, the more my skin burns and melts. Well, that is... That's Hall of Fame. Snapshot from her life. My emotionally neglectful mother found out I was going to therapy. She asked me why I was going. I listed reasons, one of them being depression. She then incredulously asked why I was depressed. Again, I listed reasons, one of them being the fact that we have no relationship. She then acted like she had no idea what I was talking about. After explaining how I felt, she said, Well, Dana, I don't have time to have a relationship with you. All the while... Throughout the entire conversation, she'd been watching Netflix and didn't even pause it to look at me. Wow. Well, Dana, I think I speak for all the people that are listening right now. We hear you, and we see you, and we 
know that that is fucked up and you deserve better. And you should be really proud of yourself for getting up the courage to go to therapy. High-fiving you. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Russian roulette champ, and he is straight. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. He was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. He writes, a guy got me high on meth for the first time and tried to jack me off, but I couldn't get hard, so he gave up and left. For once, meth dick saved me. That might be a t-shirt. Um, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Not sure. Both of my parents worked all day. I pretty much never saw them. My dad beat me, but I think it was more of just how he was raised by his dad. I don't blame him. Parents fought, sometimes physically, but I would just go upstairs and play video games. I don't think I'm hung up on it. You know, one of the things that I just wanted to say is it doesn't matter why your dad beat me. Even if your dad... Your dad being at fault or not at fault for beating beating you has nothing to do with your um, with certain phases of your healing process. And for me, the beginning of that healing process is is just not concerning myself with why something happened, but feeling the feelings without minimizing them. Um, darkest thoughts. Sometimes I hope my parents die so I can get their inheritance. Darkest secrets. I got two good ones. Well, good isn't the correct word, but whatever. One, I played Russian roulette once with an eight shooter. While praying, I got the empty chamber. Obviously, I did, since I'm writing here, but it was because I'm too cowardly to commit to it. I don't want to live, but I don't want to die. Number two, I convinced a girl who cared about me that I was a drug addict. I am now, but wasn't at the time. She spent over a year helping me uh, getting through my fake addiction. Anytime she tried to initiate sex, I had to make an excuse and not. Not because she wasn't attractive or I didn't love her, but because I was afraid what would happen afterwards. I was a virgin at the time, and I knew she would be able to tell, and I was afraid she would stop comforting me. I want to throw up in shame every time I think about it which is all the time. Man, you are so hard on yourself, said the pot to the kettle. Um, you have no reason to feel ashamed. That what you just described is so painfully, beautifully human. I just, just want to give you a hug. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want a woman to rape me. Not fantasy rape, but really. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? Uh, to stop wanting to kill myself. To stop pretending to be the happiest person in the world around other people. To stop having panic attacks because I have to walk to the grocery store. Have you shared these things with others? Fuck no, except you guys. And because I'm afraid of what people would think of me, I have friends and family that talk about depression as a weakness and selfish. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? I don't know. Better? I like listening to other ones a lot better. Um, they make me feel so much less lonely. 
I really, really hope for you that you can find a safe place to share what you're feeling and thinking because you deserve to be heard and seen and felt and you sound like a really, really nice, sensitive guy that unfortunately is in an environment where there isn't a lot of sensitivity around him and, you know, generally insensitive people respond to sense respond to sensitivity by mocking it because it scares them and you're the brave one this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by please prescribe me Adderall and he writes about his depression gray i'm just gray all the time gray is the gray really is the perfect word to de- if you had to describe depression in one word gray would absolutely be it. A snapshot from his life, being jealous of hearing codependency surveys because at least they have a relationship with people. It is amazing what what we will be jealous or envious of when, when we're feeling empty or not enough. It's just, it's unbelievable. I remember seeing a kid in grade school who had a cast and I was like, oh man, that would be so great to break my arm and have a cast. You know, I could get girls to write on it. You know, people would look at it. They'd ask me questions about it. I'd feel, you know, I'd feel more masculine. I broke my finger once and uh, that was, I was in eighth grade and not only was I able to get out of football practice, which I sucked at and I was a fucking foot tall and weighed an ounce, but I, I felt like finally I had, this is so fucked up, but I, for like the first time in my life, I felt like I had a sense of myself. Um, like I was invisible and somebody had just hung, like I was the invisible man and somebody just put a coat on me. Uh, heaven knows I'm miserable now, shares uh, a, a snapshot from her life. Just when I thought I couldn't possibly feel lonelier, my phone deleted all my contacts on its own. Oh, man. That fucking sucks. There's no putting a sugar coating on that one. The universe just pissed in your coffee. And I'm sorry. Oh. Hopefully by the time you hear this, you're, uh, you've, got, you've got your things reloaded. Uh, this is an awful moment filled out by Anna Karenina, and uh, she's still around. My God, she must eat well. She is sharing an awful moment. After growing up in a strict religious family, I finally moved out after college to a new city. I desperately wanted to reinvent myself and shed my good girl virginal identity. I bought sexy clothes, bleached my hair, and started partying every weekend. After only a few months, I managed to seduce a tall, handsome man into my bed. He thought I was a wild one, so you can imagine his confusion when, during our first hookup, he realized I was a virgin. But I had done it. I had finally had sex. My my new identity as a sexy, adventurous woman was real. The following morning, my clock radio alarm went off, only to play Foreigners Feels Like the First Time. 
The handsome man erupted into a long belly laugh as I pulled the covers over my head. I can laugh about it now, but in that moment, I was mortified. It's funny that the only people that I think look at virginity um, with a, a critical eye are the virgins themselves. It's it's amazing. I read so many of these surveys from people who are so ashamed of still being virgins. Um, this is filled out by a guy who calls himself not a social worker, and he shares uh, about alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh, does doing three shots before my favorite class count as alcoholism? Well, I'll put it this way. It's... Uh, it's not a good sign, but only you can decide whether or not you are uh, an alcoholic or a drug addict. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, in describing his sexual orientation, uh, he writes, femme sexual, but I'm in a happy cis hetero marriage. Uh, about his codependency, my wife and I are worse than sad puppies clinging to each other in a box labeled free. <laughs> that is Hall of Fame. That is... You guys are the best. You guys are just the best. There's never a time that I read your surveys, even the darkest, most fucked up ones, that I don't feel something in me. It, if not lift, move. You know, that I don't feel. So much of my life I've felt numb and invisible and... Getting to know you guys and the guests has been, I was just sharing this with somebody today, uh, it has been, um, not only have I learned so much about, about people and about myself, but I've never felt less alone. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Bad Mommy, and she's straight in her 40s, raised in a stable and safe environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. She's been emotionally abused, but doesn't uh, elaborate. Darkest thoughts. The best thing I could do for my children is kill myself. Better to lose their mother, grieve, and move on than live with this mess of a person I am. Um, darkest secrets. When I was five, I was tied to a bed by a teenage boy in our apartment complex. Uh, he molested me while exiles, I want to kiss you all over, uh, played on the radio. I don't remember how old I was, but that song came out in 1978 when I was six. I'm 44, and the only true sexual release I can achieve is while being tied down and restrained. 38, uh, 38 years, and that motherfucker's ropes are still around my wrists. Someone cut me free. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I'm so sorry. And I just want you to know that 
I fucking hate the phrase bear witness, but we, we see you and we hear you and we see your pain and we see that it's valid. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Relieving the circumstances of my molestations is disgusting. I'd rather never be aroused again than be turned on by those inescapable, unchangeable images in my head. I, you know, I say it all the time, but it's our brain's way of coping with things that scare us. And it is no comment on our morality. And I have learned, because I have ones that make me very uncomfortable, and I have learned um, to just laugh at them, um, embrace them, uh, sometimes indulge them in ways that, you know, don't disrespect other people. And... um, I would encourage you to think about not shaming yourself anymore and open up to somebody about it because I know so many people who experience what you and I struggle with. And I can tell you, being on the other side of the shame is very freeing. It's very freeing. Fat guy in a little coat shares an awful moment. Three years ago, I was in a car accident on my way to work. Some kid going to high school wasn't paying attention, probably texting. He crossed the yellow line in his huge SUV and hit my small sedan head-on. The jaws of life were eventually used to cut me out of the mangled car. Laying in the ambulance with a dozen broken bones or dislocated, I silently cried tears of joy. For five and a half years, I had fantasized seemingly constantly about suicide. Yet when I was sure death was imminent, I hadn't wanted my life to end, and it was a tremendous relief to know that part of me still wanted to live. P.S. Listening to this podcast for a few months helped me realize that I wasn't beyond help, and I've been seeing a therapist for about a month for the first time in my life. I can't even begin to tell you how beautiful that is to read. Because I fucking love car accidents oh the part you saying that you're going to therapy that's great but oh I just love the jaws of life sweet sweet jaws of life one of my most powerful sexual fantasies is getting blown by the jaws of life yeah right when you think the jaws of life are about to close I slip my minuscule penis right in there and <laughs> and the tow truck moves forward 
and backwards and forwards and backwards. I don't even know exactly what the jaws of life look like, but um, I so want to go back and rewind that, and yet I also feel like that maybe might be something that will make you guys laugh. Um, there's always, I always have this kind of little tension after I do a dark joke and I put the post the episode, but the feedback hasn't come in yet. And I, I never know is going to be, Hey, thanks for making me laugh with that thing. Or boy, I thought that was in really bad taste that you did such and such. But that's what's so great about having, being your own boss and doing your own podcast is I get to take that. I get to take that chance. And that's another thing I'm thankful for. Um, This is filled out by Bite the Wire, and it's a struggle in a sentence, and she uh, struggles with bipolar, and this is a snapshot from her life. I woke up one day and out of the blue bought a ticket to New York, visited a friend for four days, barely slept, made great memories, and had tons of fun. Then I went home, hopped into bed, and couldn't get out for five days. Week in the life. Wow. Thank you for that. Sip of tea. This is an awful moment filled out by my tumor's name is Petra. <laughs> Where the fuck you guys come up with your names? Um, and this is our, our last survey. Uh, it's an awful awful moment. And she writes, uh, thank you, Paul. The number of times I have stood up to my tyrannical father in my 34 years on this earth can be counted on my hands. Today, I stood up to my dad. Today, I told my father that his hateful, racist, and intolerant vitriol is not welcome on my phone or in my home. I suddenly and spontaneously grew giant balls and actually said to him that I don't want to answer when he calls because I'm not up for listening to whatever he's livid about at the time. I told him that if I hear it, this venom he spews, I will disconnect the call. That I love him, but I do not deserve to be on the receiving end of his anger. His reaction? Well, I just won't call then. But you know what? Today, his reaction meant dick. Because I do not own that shit. I am not responsible for his reaction. You know what I'm responsible for? My own damn happiness. My mental health. I deserve to be happy. And I can't make decisions on behalf of my sanity. Holy fuck, I stood up to my dad today. I'm on cloud nine. My chest has a familiar feeling, but under normal circumstances, I would call it tightness, choking, panic, rage. Today, this feeling is a fullness, pride, power. Wait, pride? What the fuck is pride? I'm unfamiliar with this concept. Today... I feel pride so much that I want to cry. All the times in 34 years when, as recently as three days ago, I was reduced inwardly to a terrified child in his presence. All the shame I felt for crumpling into a shivering lump metaphorically in the face of his raging. Today I righted that in some small way, and it gave me strength I did not expect. Thank you for what you do, for helping me remember that I have some control in this world, even when I'm afraid. 
thank you for sharing that. That that is uh, <sighs> you guys are just the best, just the absolute best. And um, I hope you get through these next how many weeks? Five weeks. Just a lot of deep breaths. Um, just one second at a time. And uh, just remember you're, you're not alone. And help is out there if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and ask for it. Because people like us, we're everywhere thinking that we're alone. And, and we're not. We're not. And we can help each other. And we do. And I'm living proof because I would be dead without help um, from people like you and my therapists and people in my support group and my friends. But if I had never said, hey, I'm hurting, I'm confused, I want to die, I don't know what to do, I would have never not only received their love, but helped them feel better about themselves by being of service to me. Um, so that is also there for you uh, once you're recovering. You can share that experience and that strength and that hope with with other people. Um, Thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I in know some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way.